Sometimes in life, you find yourself on the right side of the line. Do you think there's a little PTSD somewhere in there in the biathlon? I mean, you've got somebody wore out to their wits end, and now you're going to hand them a rifle? <laughs> Is that really a good idea? I mean, I'd be like that one girl, Carrie Strug. I mean, she made that jump with a broken ankle. I could do that. Live from Texas, this is the Dryline Farmer Podcast. that it's brent and landon and this is the dryline farmer podcast yes this is the dryline farmer podcast and um it's really a miracle that um we're having this conversation already because we've been talking farming for the last 20 minutes but um we've got a special edition this week we've got an actual real life person other than landon on the uh on the other end of the line and he is a Local, I don't know if I'd call you local. You're probably worldwide at this point, aren't you, Taylor? We've got Taylor Moore. He is an author of Downrange. Taylor, how's it going, man? Hey, man, Brent. It's great to be on the show. And yeah, I guess we're, I guess I'm all over the place now. Wherever uh, Amazon uh, will send a book, I guess, uh, I guess that's where the books are now. So that's, that's world, worldwide, I guess, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, real quick question since you're already an expert in this area. When they put the videos out in Afghanistan, like when Bin Laden was still alive and he had the he had the cave and stuff, who was their internet service provider? <laughs> I don't know. Because I, I mean, know. maybe we need to we need to find out, and uh, it's pretty good, right? I've been in parts of Amarillo where Bin Laden had better service than I did. Yeah, that is true. That is true. So I have no idea. Um, that I can look into that for you if, if you're really that interested. Well, I, but no, that's a good. That's a good point. Well, of course I'm interested. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> but no, that always amazed me how they had. I guess they had courier after courier that got. Uh, I don't know. They found they found 4G somewhere and maybe in the yeah. Kush or I don't know where it was, but uh, whatever the case. Well, it's amazing if you think about it. You know, they, they've got it seemingly down in these caves they were living in. But if I go to a dip in the road, I, I, I lose my cell phone. So I don't know. Yeah. Again, back to all that. What, what kind of technology do they have? It, it's it's Gra- pretty good. I know it. I know. Granted, yeah. we don't have that much undulation in the Texas panhandle. But when we do <laughs> find a low spot or a draw, as we yeah. call it, um, yeah. it, it seems to drop its signal. Well, Everybody, like I said, this is Taylor Moore. Now, Taylor, you are not originally from up here, and we'll get to that in a minute. You're from uh, the Houston area, and uh, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit where you, you started out on a uh, – we'll probably talk more farming and ranching on this episode than we ever do in any of the other episodes, even though the All name right. has farmer in it, but um, whatever the case. So it says you a um, grew up on a farm and ranch down there around Houston. That's right, uh, Navasota. So my family farmed and ranched uh, actually three counties in um, – Grimes County, Brazos County, and Washington County, um, and so most most of our place was in Brazos County. Although I went to school and kind of lived more in Grimes County, so for for people familiar with that area, that's kind of north of the uh, north of Houston, that part of the world, um, but more central Texas, we we'd call it. But we uh, we farm cotton, uh, milo, corn, and uh, and always had cattle, ran cattle on the hill land. I see, I see. Yeah. So unfortunately, you're like just almost in Aggie country. Oh, it's smack dab in the middle of the <laughs> yeah. Boy, I was, and boy, was that heaven. <laughs> oh, God, no. God, no. Now, Taylor, I can, knew that would just get you, Brent. I oh, get man. You. 
I tell you <laughs> what, Taylor can say, we're doing Zoom and he can see my background, I'm sure, and it's just all Red Raider stuff. And, you it know, well, nobody <laughs> likes Red Raiders. I don't even think well, we I'm like ourselves. I'm married to a Red Raider. I, I like my wife. That's so, true. You know. Well, I'm married to an Aggie. So, you know. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> so, you know, there nobody's you perfect. But, um, no, yeah. we always, I've got a lot of good Aggie friends. They're, they're, um, pretty nice people contrary to popular belief but uh, so are we <laughs> so yeah no navasota that's just right there that's just pretty darn close to college station i would think but yeah um, yeah yeah and that's it's that was our uh you know i guess bigger town next door of course houston wasn't you know about an hour, hour and a half away okay. but uh but college station was about 20 minutes so kind of like you guys in hereford might make a drive to uh, uh, to Amarillo, that's what right. we did in College Station from Minnesota. And see, that always amazed me. Once I finally got out of the Panhandle, is you don't have to go four hours to get somewhere. It, no. You can get get there in thirty minutes, and it's just amazing it, the amount it, of people. Yeah, it was strange. You know, when I moved to, I just didn't have a concept when I moved to Amarillo how far it was from everything. Because I remember, you know, when I, when when Diane and I, my my wife and I, who was from Hereford, when we moved here. I thought, well, at least we'll be kind of close to Dallas. And you get here and you're like, no, we're not close to Dallas. We're not close to anything. You're not. I mean, maybe kind of close to Lubbock or whatever, which is, you know, for what that's worth. But uh, no, you're not close to anything. And I didn't realize as a kid, you know, growing up in, in Navasota, um, you know, again, Houston might be an hour and a half. But I remember, or, you know, Austin, two hours. I remember if we had to drive to Dallas, it was three hours. And I remember going, oh, my gosh, that long drive. How are we going to survive this? And. Little did I know I, I had uh, that wasn't a long drive at all. So when you got to like Childress, did you just start hearing banjos or, or what was it? I mean, it's like, <laughs> where are all the people and where do the trees go? It's a uh, man, you know, Texas is a funny state, isn't it? I mean, there's so many parts of Texas that are just so different. And, you know, I grew up on, uh, you know, central Texas and I always joke with people. I'm so close to East Texas. I could throw a rocket, hit it. But I'll punch you in the mouth if you, uh, you know, try to accuse me of being from East oh, Texas. Yeah. You know, I'm not a hillbilly here. But uh, but now when you come to, you know, South Texas has its own feel. West Texas has its own feel. And the Panhandle has its own feel. And, sure. um, but it's fun. It's cool. It's But it's different. You know, it's a different part of Texas than, uh, you know, where I grew up. And But it's fun. It's fun. I like it. And it's 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 flat and <laughs> it's different. But, but it's got its own beauty. And I've, I've really come to appreciate it. And, for folks that read the book, they'll they'll see uh, they'll see how I've included that in. Yeah, it's um, glad you mentioned that because in your book, you know, you you talk about. Like I was telling, we were talking earlier before we started recording how it's really interesting. There's not just too many other than Amarillo by morning. You know, the Texas Panhandle is really not you know, or maybe Dust Bowl. You know, really yeah. uplifting stories about the Dust Bowl when Ken Burns gets on PBS. But um, yeah, you know, Texas Panhandle is kind of that. I don't know if it's a frontier that that nobody wanted to discover, but uh, it's getting rediscovered anyway in downrange. But yeah, you know, it's a uh, you know if you get if you say East Texas, I mean, you automatically have to start talking slower, and you know, it's just yeah, it's a whole other world. But um, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's another world. But well, I, I, what I was going to say real quick, I said you know, uh, and I've told people this before. I said Amarillo. I said it that was one of those places that, you know, on the church ski trip, when you were, when you were driving from Navasota, you'd stop, you know, at some <laughs> ungodly hour, you know, at midnight and it'd be cold and like wind blowing 40 miles an hour. And you get out of the van and go to the bathroom at some truck stop. And you'd be like, dear Lord, who lives at this place? Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> I'd end up here living in that cold and in that wind, but, uh, but it is a funny thing. It is. You know, I have a good friend. He had a girlfriend that he, they were at college station. They went at A and M, and he and she came up with him to uh, to Amarillo, and they, they're from Vega. 
And she got off the yeah. airplane at the airport and she goes, where are all the people? <laughs> it's like, this is, <laughs> this is it. Needle, needless to say, they didn't get married. But um, yeah, so it's a, <laughs> it, didn't work out. it didn't work out. But she he still did marry a girl from Fredericksburg. So that's a. That's still oh, a world well, away. Yeah. And, but, and that's um, a that's a real beautiful place. Well, but you know, I tell you, it's funny. I do like the weather here. I I, I hate the hot, humid oh, weather where I grew gosh. up, I, and I like the cold, so it it works for me. It it can get a bit windy at times. I will say it can get uh, that can get old, but I like the. Uh, when people say it's hot here, it's not hot, you know, and um, and now it does get cold. I will say that, but but I like the cold for the most part, so I'm I'm okay with the weather up here. You know, after the years we've had of just brutal, I mean, you know, it's it's dry heat, but I always say, well, so is yeah. an oven, you know. But yeah. <laughs> um, it's I'll I'll take the wind any day. I remember we I went to go visit my friend in College Station. We'll get to the book right now because anyway, yeah. but um. I'm like, oh, I'll come down there, and you know, September, we'll, we'll play a couple of days of golf in the morning, and you know, whatever, it'll be, it'll be cooled down by then. And yeah. we started each day at eight in the morning, and I'm like, dude, I gotta, t- I gotta have the rest of the day to recover because that was stupid, how hot that yeah. was. And I'm like, yeah. Anyway, so it was just, it's, it's weird. Yeah, you step outside, and it, it, you uh, immediately your, your shirt is wet with sweat. Oh, it's it's crazy, man. It, it's, it's like crazy. It's like Kramer seeing that red light from that chicken sign, man. <laughs> you just freaking bend over backwards, and it's just. Yeah. But um, so yeah, but no, it's a it's an interesting deal. So I'm gonna I've got this little deal here. Um, Taylor's. I mean, he's kind of not really led the most exciting life. I mean, it's kind of boring. So. Let me just tell you a few of the things he did, you know, um, and mind you, while I read all this off, I was doing, let's see, keg stands, I don't know, probably chasing my own shadow and stuff like that. So keep that in mind while I read off this biography, but he's a sixth generation Texan, grew up on a farm and ranch, former CIA intelligence officer who worked in both analysis and operations, later consulted for the Department of Defense in theater security cooperation force protection, and counter-illicit trafficking. You realize how hard that is just to say that? He now lives in the Texas Panhandle with his wife and two children and is a full-time author and speaker. Okay, CIA, Taylor, you, did you, you saw yourself becoming a government official in that capacity when you were, say, 16? You know, here's a funny thing, and I tell people all the time, uh, you know, people always say, like, you know, growing up, you know, what was your favorite subject in school? My favorite subject was always social studies. Remember social studies, which you had in the oh, kid, yeah. and you're, you know, and you're learning about other cultures and and governments and all these different things. That was always my favorite subject. So as a kid, I was always just fascinated by what's happening around the world. Um, all things international were just like it to me. And I had my uh, my mom's parents. My mom grew up overseas because her dad was in the oil business. And so he, uh, she grew up in South America and of course they'd lived over in Africa and places like that. So to hear all these stories growing up and hear her stories of, of her living in South America. And to me, that just sounded really cool. And, um, and I was just fascinated with it. So while I, you know, enjoyed, you know, living on a farm and ranch and, you know, growing up out in the country, I always, you know, I'd look up to a, a jet flying overhead and think, man, I wonder where they're going, you know? And when I got old enough to sort of figure out that answer for myself I, I jumped on that plane and and to see where it would take me did you go to a&m 
Uh, yeah, I went to A&M. Yeah, I was okay. uh, class of 97 at A&M. Yeah. Okay. So um, from college, did you? is that where you went to straight to the uh, uh, CIA no, or? No. So so my story, so I went to, went to A&M, graduated, and my first job out of college was actually with the, the state senate in Austin. Uh, so, so, you know, did that for about a year, worked a session there and, but still had that bug to travel. So I just kind of sold everything and, um, and packed up and moved down to Argentina. Uh, cause I'd taken some Spanish while I was in, in college and, and lived down in Mexico and I wanted to continue with my Spanish. So I just went down to, to Argentina, uh, took some Spanish for a couple of months. And then, uh, I, I met this guy and his wife down there that were selling trips to Antarctica <laughs> and, uh, went, met with him, uh, like uh, a timeshare or what? No, so basically, they, they there's a Russian research vessel that would take passengers aboard. To, uh, it was one of those Russian icebreakers that you see that can smash through the ice, and uh, but they take people down there. And so I saw this ad in the paper down in Buenos Aires, and and I went and met these people, and they didn't harvest my organs. Thankfully, they were legit, and 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 told me all about it. But the funny thing was this guy, um, this the, the guy who sold this trip, he's actually Brazilian. He was working down there in a a, a leather factory. Um, and, um, and, and did this sort of part-time. He was, he was a world traveler and he started telling me, um, uh, you know, so I went over to dinner at their house and, and he had this globe and it had all these thumbtacks in it from all the places he had been around the world. And I remember spinning around that globe and this is back in 1999. And, and I was like, I'd say his name is Gunnar Hagelberg. Uh, good, good, uh, <laughs> good Brazilian name, right? Uh, I figured he's from East Texas Texas or something. Yeah, yeah, his, his family's shown up there after World War II sometime, but yeah, he, uh, and I was, I'd say, Gunnar, have you been here, have you been here, have you been here, and finally I said, Taylor, I've literally been everywhere in the world, he said, the only place I haven't been yet is space, and he said, I've already, I found this uh, company that is looking into sending civilians into space, remember, this is 1999, right. and he goes, I've already, like, put on a, like, a down payment for, you know, my, you know, to, to get there. Now, I don't know who that company is, whatever happens. So, but now we're seeing surveillance yeah. in, in space here a couple of decades later. Um, but when he told me that, I thought you are crazy. We'll never see that in our lifetime, but here we are. But that, that, that's what he told me. So he encouraged me. He said, well, you know, if you're going to Antarctica, why not just, uh, he said, there's this cattle boat down in Southern Argentina that will take you into Chile. And he goes, you just get on that cattle boat book passage and and I was like, I don't know about this schooner. I don't know, man. You know, <laughs> by myself backpacking across. He goes, he goes, well, if you do that, you know, you could go into Bolivia. You could do all, you know, you could go to Peru. You could do all these. And I just, you know, here I'm this guy from Texas, you know, early 20s. I'm thinking, man, I'm going to get killed down here doing all this. But for whatever reason, he, he sort of got me pumped up to, to travel to travel to backpack across South America. And so I did. So after I got back from Antarctica, I ended up going to I took the cattle boat from Argentina to Chile and uh, traveled across the Atacama Desert of, of northern Chile, the driest desert in the world. Went over the Andes with an Indian guide into Bolivia, traveled around Bolivia, and then went up to uh, Peru, hiked the Inca Trail up to Machu Picchu, and then came back down through the uh, Bolivian jungle back into Argentina. And then I'm staying on a, a, a cattle ranch and kind of tobacco plantation for a couple of three weeks and then went back to Buenos Aires. And so, so he kind of, it was one of those things, like I, I kept just telling myself, I'm like, I'll go just a little bit further, a little right. bit further. And the next thing you know, I'm climbing Machu Picchu, you know, and, and, and that's how it happened. 
That, I mean, that kind of sounds like a slow weekend for me. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, who doesn't sell everything and go to Argentina? I mean, for yeah. real. Yeah. That that that's an amazing story. So, um, this is all you're just kind of freelancing, exploring right now. You're not any official capacity. You're just no. Doing this. this is all pre-intelligence days, and um, uh-huh. but you know, of course, that the it made for a good resume, if sure, you will. You know, sure. when it was time to. to to um, start looking at the agency and and so it was just you know it was just one of those things I kind of it was just sort of a I, I guess my own sort of rite of passage I wanted to see if I could survive right. you know and and so I uh, did that on my own made lots of you know great friends while I was traveling I would hook up and travel with people uh, that I'd meet along the way mostly Europeans and um, Israelis and and all these you know just crazy people from around the world and um, but now it was just one of those, one of those things I wanted to see if I could do it. And, you know, that was the world before, I mean, cell phones were here, but not like obviously now. I yeah, mean, no, I, were, don't, I don't think I had a cell phone. I, I don't, yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't have a cell phone. That would have been 1999 and 2000. Yeah. So they existed, but right. not in the, yeah. So they did at least have the internet and I could, you know, communicate with my parents by email. They'd have an internet cafe, they called it, you know, uh-huh. and so you'd find an internet cafe and go report that you're still alive and then keep, keep it going, you know. Right, yeah. I mean, obviously a cell phone probably wouldn't have done you much good in Machu Picchu anyway, but <laughs> probably ha- not. Had you have had one. Yeah. So, but no, that's uh, yeah. so leading into the, to the agency, tell me what is the agency not that people think it is? What is it not that people think it what, is? What is it's, not a law, it's not a law enforcement organization, you okay. know? And, uh, and I know that's kind of a funny thing to say, but I, I guess that's a, a misconception is that people say, oh, were you, did you carry a gun? Did you, you know, and, and it's a different, it's just, it's not the FBI, it's not the DEA, although a lot of those issues cross over, but the, the, the CIA, you know, if you're on the analysis side, you're there to provide, uh, you, know, you know, if you're an analyst, you're there to provide lawmakers or warfighter or whoever it is with the best, you know, actionable sort of intelligence that you can. You're the one that's keeping up with things and you're, you're keeping them abreast of what's going on in the world and um, or, you know, whether it's, you know, a country or a, a person or a, a, a terrorist group or, you know, counterintelligence, whatever it is, that, that's your job. If you're on the operations side, your job is to still, still secrets. Now, there is a, you know, uh, the special activities division of, of the CIA that people know of as, you know, the paramilitary or paramilitary organization. That's that's still part of it. But for the most part, you're, you're not a law enforcement officer. You're not making arrests. You're not doing those things for the most part your, your job is to steal secrets or uh-huh. your job is to take those secrets and make sense of them and that's what we do i see i see yeah. so you were uh so the uh, i'm sure the application process is pretty involved yeah it's it's a very involved and long process that uh can be frustrating um and you know of course a lot of people around here work for pantex so i think you know anybody who hears this and uh, has gone through that process, understands, but yeah, you, you go through a, you know, a, a period of, um, of waiting, you know, while you're waiting for your clearance to come. But even before then, you know, just getting in, getting your foot in the door is pretty hard because you have to pass a, a number of obstacles and interviews and you got to go through the, the full scope, uh, polygraph and oh, wow. all that kind of stuff. And, um, and so for me, you know, it wasn't a, a bad process. It just takes a while and you're, you're always just kind of waiting for that next you know to clear that next hurdle and find out if you made it to the next level and um but once you're in you're in and uh and that's the good thing so is it um is it mostly civilians or is it ex-military people or is it 
a lot of both, you know. Yeah. So depending on where you are, you know, what side of the house, um, like I said, if you're uh, an, an analyst, you, you, you've got a, a variety of both. On the, Now, on the analysis side, you get a bit more of the sort of uh, postgraduate, you know, at least a master's or PhD. It, or if, if you don't have that, it's usually somebody from an Ivy League school. Okay. Um, but, but, you know, that kind of uh, brain trust, if you will. Um, that, that's that kind of side. So you do have some ex-military, particularly doing like the, you know, weapons analysis and all that kind of stuff. Cause you know, they look at missiles, they look at, uh, military equipment from other, you know, of other, you know, of other countries and that kind of thing on the operations side of the house. It's a little, a little more military. I think, you know, you've got, um, um, a lot of those guys, you know, that pick in there, you know, that, that, that helps, you know, people that have Arabic or, or whatever it is, you know, and, um, and, and so that side, and then again, you know, uh, that, that sort of, um, uh, special activities, most of those guys, I, I, I wouldn't say a hundred percent are military, but man, it's gotta be close to it, you know, cause those are usually former, uh, you know, SEALs or Green Berets or Force Force Recon or something like that, or, um, Air Force, um, combat controllers, you name it, they, they, they're there and, and that's who makes up that, but it's a good mix. It's a good mix of military and, and civilian. Or you know, ex-military, and ex-military and civilian. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so that took you. I'm sure that took you all over the world. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that was cool. It gives you some opportunities to see a see a few things you probably wouldn't normally see and um, learn about different cultures. And you know, they, they the agency is very good about getting you prepped and great education and training and that kind of stuff for what you do. I see. I see. Yeah. It's um. So you were, of course, your character starts out in Afghanistan. He's a Green Beret. Is that right? Yeah. He's a former Green Beret turned DEA uh, okay. special agent. I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. It's a, uh, so he's more of the, uh, yeah, obviously the military side. So, mm-hmm. but, um, so that kind of sets, well, let's get into that. So downrange now, were you a rider by, you know, did you think, was it in you when you were a kid? Yeah. I always, um, yeah, I liked to write when I was younger and, and more than anything, I like to tell stories, you know, and, and, uh, and I had a, a big imagination. You know, of course, you know, as I told you earlier, I grew up on a farm and ranch. And so I spent a lot of time by myself sure. um, growing up, just as you do, because you know, that's where our house was. And so I was always out in the woods or riding my four wheeler or, you know, making up some sort of a crazy story of, you know, just to entertain myself, you know, you're out there. And uh, so, you know, we had lakes and, uh, you know, uh, creeks and all you know all that kind of stuff the brazos river behind it so for me everything was just one big adventure and uh so i think i just took what i did as a kid and and always just like sort of building on on my own imagination but uh but grew up you know in the, in the era of james bond and raiders of the lost ark and all those things that were influences uh when i was younger and I, that's the kind of life i wanted to live and so i did you know a little bit you know as i told you about doing you know going to south america and doing the uh, working with the CIA, but then just continuing on to be able to tell those stories and, and bring uh, adventure, action adventure uh, to life for, for other people now. It's, it's a great thing for me. So now how long were you with the CIA? Uh, so I was with them about four years, four years and then moved on to contracting work with the military, doing counter uh, or doing uh, intelligence work for the military. Okay. And obviously that was you were overseas with that, I'm sure. You do. Uh, I was based out of the you know, out of the U.S., but okay. you know you travel here. And I here. see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, all of that you know gave you just a whole nother scope of ideas to write from. I mean, yeah, being in the yeah the, the the military side, you know, of course, the CIA. It's it's just 
the 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 civilian world and the military world are very different. I mean, there's some similarities, but just how they're structured are very different. And law enforcement, as I mentioned, is very different. You know, a lot of people always ask me, like, well, why why are you, why is your main guy your protagonist the DEA agent? And I said, well, it, 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 so that's kind of an interesting story. My original when I when I landed my literary agent in New York. Uh, I landed it with a whole entire, entirely different book series that was a CIA um, series. It was more of a traditional spy thriller series, more like the Vince Flynn or Brad Thor, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, but I had this side character. I had this DEA guy named Garrett Cole, and my agent was like, dude, that guy's great, man. Uh, what do you think about uh, taking him and uh, making him your protagonist and, you know, maybe bringing the story back to Texas? And I was like, no, 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 I can't do that. That's not my world. That's not what I did, you know. And I did counter narcotics stuff, but at a, you know, I always call it the thirty thousand foot level, where you're, um, you're looking at things, you know, country by country and by you know networks and that kind of stuff. I wasn't like the DEA guy, like breaking down the door or whatever. Right. And I said that's just not my world. And uh, but 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 you know, as I, I started working with it and started writing this character, I really liked it, and it and it kind of sort of um, it developed and and it and became it became the series that we have now. And then, so I had this idea and I thought, well, what if I take this guy who's, uh, you know, black and white sort of law enforcement kind of guy and put him in the gray world of the CIA where it's not exactly things yeah. aren't as cut and dry as they are in, in, uh, in law enforcement. And I'll put him in that world, but also I'll have the military, you know, aspect of that too. And then, so, and then you, you take all of that and you bring it back to Texas and you put it in, in more of a domestic environment, how do these guys operate? What would happen if they, if a guy with that, you know, that skill set, that background, um, you know, came across a, a cartel or some other bad guys around here, what, what, what would that look like? And so that's what you see in downrange, you know, continue to see throughout the series. And yeah, that's, you know, what struck me so much is obviously being from the Texas panhandle, you know, seeing a, uh, you know, one of the closest things I remember to Hollywood really, I mean, getting close to the panhandle was Clint Eastwood's um, The Perfect World with mm-hmm. Kevin. Yeah. With Kevin. Co- I mean, yep. uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, see, I remember them mentioning Littlefield. And I mean, I yeah. don't know if they actually filmed there or not. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, you know, and it's so, uh, you know, I mean, it's Texas panhandle. Let's be honest. It's not the sexiest place in the world. But, um, <laughs> you know, you know, to bring, you know, I was just as you were, as you were saying that, you know, uh, all your aspects it kind of reminded me of like a few things so you know one of the it's like towards the end of the book when you get into really into the climax and stuff it, it almost reminded me of seeing out a true grit with mm. john wayne in, with the reins in his hands you know going double barreled off his horse you know yeah and i don't know why that it just it just really got into my face that man this is this is part true grit and then you know you've got the brothers and you know, almost like an, I don't know, like you said, he's a Green Beret, but he's got the CIA and people are always watching because you're in the CIA, but he's the uh, a DEA guy, ex-Green Beret. So somebody's always watching, you know, you've got your character and I don't know, you just stop me and tell me to stop recording if I'm giving too much out. But, you know, he's got his boss lady and, you know, she's, you know, hard, you know, hardcore and all that good stuff. But um, but when you mix it in with the, with the Texas panhandle scene, it's uh i mean it's a whole new world you've got really a different aspect of you know we watch 24 we watch it's almost like 24 meets yellowstone almost yeah you know yeah. what i mean and maybe it a little is, yeah. and maybe a little a whole lot of breaking bad 
a whole lot of Breaking Bad. And um, I call it uh, for, you know, anybody who's a Taylor Sheridan fan, I say it's kind of like Hell or High Water meets Sicario. I don't know if you've seen okay. any oh, yeah. of those I've seen movies. Sicario. Sure. Yeah. So if you haven't seen Hell or High Water, you need to, because, you know, speaking of uh, the territory, now I think it was filmed in New Mexico, but they talk about, you know, Childress, I think, and places like that. So if you haven't seen Hell or High Water, you need to see it. And you'll you'll see this, the Hell or High Water meets Sicario comparison. It, it, it comes to, yeah, put that on your list. Watch watch that next. Hell or High. I've seen, seen it. I've seen it. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah. I'll, uh, so um, I'll, I'll check that out. But um, yeah. so the process of writing a book, I'm sure, is painstaking. I mean, mm-hmm. draft after draft after draft, right? Yeah. yeah. And so explain that to me. I mean, it's got to be nerve wracking to uh are you ever you know like um, when i started this podcast i couldn't stand to edit it to hear myself yeah. you know you know yeah. if I, maybe if i could write it all i wouldn't have to hear my voice but in the back of my mind i'd be hearing my voice say it but you know to to edit my own work was always just painful because i was like man oh it's terrible you know yeah and um w- with your book i mean you keep obviously yours is a whole lot more depth process mine's a fly by the seat of my pants you know as you can probably tell. But so anyway, you go through your drafts and you've got editors to deal with and all that. So tell me kind of what's the outline of that. Yeah, it's a, it's a horrible process. If we're being honest, it's, it's, it's whatever you felt doing your, uh, you know, podcast, you know, do that times a, a million with a book because sure, <laughs> sure. it goes through draft after draft, after draft, after draft, after draft. And some of it's from my editors. Some of it's, you know, when I was first starting out, some from my agents, some just from me, you know, I, it, to, to get to where, to get it perfect how you want it, it it takes that many like passes to the point where you're just sick of it you can't you i'll I'll get to the point with the book or you know where i literally can't read it anymore my (laughs) mind literally won't allow allow me to read it i'll just sit there and my eyes will glance over it but i can't read it It, it's that you're that disgusted with it and so it's a funny process so how far from your original idea to the final public publication of it, how far are the stories apart? I mean, do you, you know, you think you've got your idea you want, and then it just completely, you find a different it changes, path for it. Yeah. It changes a lot. Um, well, if you want to look at it from what I, what I got my agent with and what I had planned to launch with, it's a completely an entirely new book wow. with, um, with an entirely new protagonist. So in a, an entirely different country, so if you want to look at it that way, yeah, it changes a lot. Now, it won't be that, you know, for future books, it won't be that drastic. But if you, if I think like where my, from where my agent took it when we sold it to William R. Harper Collins, where my editor, and I got a great editor, um, uh, you know, but, but he had a different vision too. So once he gets it, he has his vision of where he wants, wants it to go. Um, and, and it's more change of tone. Mine, mine was a little more violent when I first started, um, because, well, if you look at uh, a lot of military thriller, uh, novels, they're pretty, you know, they're not for the faint of sure, heart. Yeah. Yeah, they, they get pretty rough. And, and, and the, in the first version it, it was, but then he toned it down because he wanted more of a, you know, I think more of a wider audience. And I'm glad he did because, um, and, and there's other, you know, writers that, that have it more toned down. It's something I, you know, I guess you might call it PG 13 versus rated R. Um, and so it was toned down a little bit. Now, somebody, you know, some people might read the old version and go, man, this was way better. This was more hard hitting and more, um, and, and that, that just, you know, that's how, just, just how it is. Uh, there's a, a writer named Jack Carr, uh, who's, who's big on the scene now and he's a former Navy SEAL and, 
you know, you read his books and it's got torture and it's got all this stuff, in it, sure. you know, and he's doing phenomenal, you know, but, but this is just, a, you know, my editor wanted to go a little bit different way and, and, and I, but I'm glad he did. I, I think it opens it up to more people that can enjoy it where, you know, some people are, are more comfortable with a little bit, um, a little bloodier type thing. And then some people aren't, but I, I don't think it's good. I don't think how it is now is going to turn anyone, uh, nobody will notice what, what they're missing. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas if you have that stuff in, it might turn someone off. And, oh yeah. And I, mean, I, I don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean like your language and everything, I mean, you know, you've got a little colorful here and there, but I mean, yeah. it's mild, mild, mild. I mean, anybody, Very mild. but you know, as you were saying, he's like broadening your horizons to your audience. You know, there's a lot of relationship stuff going on. You know, you've got mm -hmm. Garrett, his dad, and then obviously the little boy. So, yeah. I'll let you give a synopsis because I know you know what you want to tell without giving too much away. So we've got this uh, main guy, and he's a, a DEA agent, former Green Beret. So kind of take us from there. Yeah, so I'll kind of I'll kind of tee it up a little bit, and then and you know I don't want to give away any spoilers, but basically, and, and this is um, this will take you for, through the first few chapters, but it, it won't give anything away. But basically, yeah, our, our, our protagonist Garrett Cole is a DEA guy. Uh, he normally works undercover. He's on a, but he's on a task force out in uh, in Afghanistan. So, uh, um, oddly enough, Afghanistan wasn't that relevant when I started writing this. You know, a couple years back, it's extremely relevant now, just given what's going on. Sadly, you know, the the, right. the horrible state of affairs with the uh, with the Taliban, and um, and but it, but I, there was a little bit of I guess foresight. You know, I I, I that starts off where Garrett is watching this village. Um, because he thinks there's a, you know, a big uh, drug uh, shipment going through and happens to witness um, this sort of radical organization come in and raise this village and, and start murdering everyone in it. And what happens is he's not supposed to be there. He's uh, in this horrible situation where he kind of has to watch this, but he's not supposed to be there in any way, shape or form. He's, he's there really um uh, you know, without the country, with you know, knowing and really some without his supervisors knowing, but um, but he ends up seeing this this uh, this ten year old boy, uh, Afghan village boy, escapes uh, these horrible marauders, and he and he helps this kid get out, and uh, Garrett doesn't know what to do because everyone else is dead, so he takes the kid back to this Ford operating base where uh, his uh, CIA <laughs> boss is sort of waiting for an explanation of what happened and why he ended up shooting up this village and, you know, and why was he in a place he wasn't supposed to be and basically ends up on a protective custody assignment with this kid. And so Garrett, uh, as you might imagine, uh, the single sort of hard nosed, uh, hard bitten, uh, DEA undercover narc is not exactly, you know, Mr. Rogers and not exactly the guy you'd ex expect to take on, uh, the responsibility of a 10 year old kid, but he's really left with no choice. And uh, he's got to hide this kid because he witnessed this thing and they're going to need him to testify. And, and so they really want him out of the country, the only place that was safe. So Garrett decides, well, you know, I, I need to go back home anyway. He grew up on a ranch outside of Canadian and he, he's got his own fence mending to do because he's estranged from his family. And I'll, I'll let you read the book to get into all that. But basically, I hasn't seen his dad or his brother in years and needs to go. He needs to hide out. He needs to hide the kid out, but he needs to, to solve some some of his own life problems. And so that's how he ends up back in Canadian on his ranch, uh, just outside of town. And and I'll uh, and he and he kind of goes from out of the frying pan and into the oven uh, from a real bad situation, and, and thinks he's going to have this sort of peaceful, p 
peaceful time back on the ranch and that just doesn't happen. And, and I won't give any way more from there other than to say that if you think it starts out pretty intense, just wait to, to see what happens because it, 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 uh, it heats up in a hurry. Oh, no. Yeah, absolutely. And this, I mean, one of the, the climax of the book is, um, I mean, yeah, it's it, it's pretty intense. You know, you were saying it doesn't you know, people aren't. Well, they could be pulling out fingernails. I guess you'll have to find out. But um, <laughs> it's 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 quite a climactic uh, ending, to say the very least, is obviously what you're going for. So who plays Garrett Cole when the movie is released in, what, 2025? <laughs> you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. We're, we're going through that process right now. There's been a lot of interest from Hollywood. And, um, and so uh, we've had several studios and. Uh, so we're kind of going through uh, the process of, of, of locking up the, uh, the rights for, uh, for a series. And, um, and so, we, we, yeah, people ask me that all the time. And there's, I think a lot of good people could, uh, could play the role. Uh, I'm, I thought Taylor Kitsch would be good. I don't know if you remember Taylor Kitsch. Um, he's not, I guess, necessarily a household name, but, you know, he, he was in Friday Night Lights. Uh, he played Tim Riggins, uh, if you ever watched the series. And, uh, he's been in a few things like Waco and, um, okay. he's been in some, uh, some things that I thought were really good, like Lone Survivor. Uh, he was in Lone, I don't know if you remember Lone Survivor. Oh yeah. About I read Luttrell. the book and saw the movie. Um, sure. So, so, uh, so Taylor Kitsch has done a good job of playing, uh, both a Texan and, uh, a special operations guy. And I thought he would, he would make a, a good Garrett Cole. And, uh, and he's about the right build and, and look for it. Um, I, my understanding, I have a friend who's, who's passed on the book to, to Taylor. So I don't know if he ever read it or not or threw it in the corner of his trailer. But, uh, but yeah, you never know. <laughs> so um, I think Butch, certainly either what, Tommy Lee Jones, yeah. Clint Eastwood. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, a old enough, yeah. Yeah, getting getting up there. Um, yeah, you know, of course, Tommy Lee's obviously a tech. I mean, he's a Texan. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. um, anyway, those are. But yeah, he's a he's a hard nosed old man, and boy, he at the beginning of the book, you just really want he's he's hard to like because he's so gruff yeah. to uh <laughs> to his son, and it, it takes you a while to figure out what I mean, you know, what all the backstory is and everything. But you know, obviously, it's a it's a really good deal. So I had a couple questions when I was uh as I was reading through the book, what or who is playing on the radio as he's driving from Dallas to Canadian? Who do you think he's well, oh, listening to Garrett? Who do you think he's listening? Well, you know, it's interesting. You should ask you, do you see that I have a Garrett Cole playlist on Spotify? I haven't seen that. Okay. Now, I, I know you mentioned Robert Earl Keen at the beginning of the book. Yeah, so I mentioned Robert. So you know what? I'll just pull it up right. So I've got a list. So if you don't, if, you know, for those people that do social media, you can follow me on Instagram or, or Facebook, and and I've got it posted a, a playlist um, for Garrett Cole. So it's uh, so I'll just pull it up right now. I'm looking. So yeah, I've got everything from I got Robert O'Keen, I've got Lyle Lovett, I got Johnny Cash, I got Sturgill Simpson, Brian Bingham, Willie Nelson. Um, Boy, I got Comanche Moon. If you want a local, uh, okay. a local band, Greg, Gregory Allen Isaacoff, James McMurtry. Um, man, there's there's a uh, there's some good ones there. So uh, absolutely, so yeah, I've got a whole playlist that that's uh, that's just for the movie. So yeah, if you want to think about, I, I you know what I think it is. I think he's uh, uh, feeling good again by Robert Earl King. Robert Earl King. Okay. Yeah. And the reason I put that down when I when I moved back to Texas, you know, after I got out of the agency, I, I was uh, stationed out of San Antonio working at Fort Sam Houston. 
And I remember uh, driving back home, uh, you know, to, to College Station. My parents live up in College Station now near Navasota. But um, but I remember hearing Robert O'Kane's Feeling Good Again. Uh-huh. And I just remember, I'll never forget how I felt hearing that song and being back being in back. Texas. So I think that would be the perfect song for, for Garrett to be listening to. See, so because this story is in the wintertime. Uh-huh. So you would think it'd be Merry Christmas from the family. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mom got and his, drunk. His, and dad his got family drunk. Is, is just about as dysfunctional as the family in that story. Rudy. So, uh, so that, that that's a good one. I yeah, like yeah. Okay, another music song at the end of the book. What song would be playing? And it, you don't have to answer if you think it's just too much to uh, give away. But what's the victorious song as the uh, book ends? Is it, are we still country or are we using, um, what are some rock bands from it was easy. Top wouldn't really work. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're from Texas, but, um, a great victorious song for the book to end on or for the movie the, to end on. Yeah. Is it, is the credits roll? Yeah. A credit one. Yeah. I think it's still gotta be country. Because it just that that's it's a modern western, yeah. you know, the book is or the movie would be, but but I don't. That's, what do you think? I mean, so, I'll, I'll think about it. Would you? You know, it just came to mind. Uh, is it Whiskey Myers? I don't know. Maybe not a credit roll song, but that yeah. um, oh, he sings about um. Oh, I, I've got. He's playing the harmonica, and I've got it in my mind. But put Whiskey Myers on your Spotify list if it's already not okay, full. Yeah. But um, right, I'm writing it down. Uh, oh, um, it's he talks, and I know you know the song. He talks about the girl with meth. Um, she gets, she dies in the song from meth overdose. Um, well, we'll pull it up here. I'm always good okay. at looking at stuff up on the uh, on the fly here, but um, and then there's another song that's got um, it, it talks about the dad, and I love the song. Let's see, it is um, Stone, yeah. No, 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 that's a different one. But whatever the case, as you can tell, I'm fully prepared. But, um, I, yeah, I think a great soundtrack. I mean, you, you've already listed a great soundtrack. You've already made one, for goodness sake, um, as I'm yeah. listening to you. But um, yeah. so, yeah, um, real, I don't know, would you call it melancholy? What What's the theme? Yeah. Do you want to give a theme of your book as far as melancholy or dark? Or how do you want to how do you want to describe it? I want to, I would describe it, uh, you know, lightness breaking through the darkness. Right. I mean, you know, it, it, there, there are some dark points of the book, but I think the idea is that, that good will overcome and that people come together when they need to. And, um, and, and that's the theme of the book. It'll be the theme of the series. Nobody will ever gonna, is ever going to read this book and be disappointed and think, you know, boy, this guy, you know, ended it on a bad note or something like that. Cause you know, sometimes, uh, you know, writers do that. And, and, and I guess it's okay sometimes, but I think there's enough bad stuff in the world without adding to it in, in, uh, in fiction. So I want, you know, and I, I want people to always overcome their obstacles and, uh, and, and be able to rise to the occasion and that there, there'll be something good that will come out of it. And I think each and every book will be like that. And, uh, and it doesn't mean that it's always going to be easier. I'm not going to put you through the ringer as you're <laughs> reading or watching, not. as the case I hope, may I be. I hope you uh, will. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so it's it's always going to be a 
uh, you're always going to feel like you, you get to the end of this thing and you're going to need a, a, you know, a glass of whiskey and, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> you take a nap or something. Right. Uh, Cause it's always going to be a, a, a rough, uh, a rough ride, but, but in the end you'll be glad and, and things will work out and it doesn't mean I'm going to tie it up with a nice little bow and everything's going to be hunky dory and okay. Uh, there, there, there might be some problems at the end that, you know, you'll have to get to book two to, to, uh, to figure out, but, but, uh, but I'm never going to leave you hanging or anything like that. So what's, uh, tell me, tell me what your plans are. You've got a series you've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's so, coming up? So I'm, yeah. So right now I'm working on the edits for book two. So book two will be out, uh, you know, probably next summer. Um, and then I'll need to start working on book three. So, you know, I've got ideas for that. So no, it's a series and, um, and yeah, that's the plan. And like I said, I had a lot of interest from, uh, the Hollywood folks that want to do something with it. So hopefully something will line up with that and maybe we'll get somebody, maybe we won't, we'll, we'll, uh, update, um, what was the movie you mentioned? Uh, the Kevin Costner. Oh, uh, a perfect, perfect world. world. Yeah, uh-huh. We'll get something filmed out here, and, uh, and that would be fun too. So, um, yeah, no, I think. So, do you anticipate it to get easier to write the next one? Um, I think so. Uh, so, you know, I've written book two, and it wasn't too hard. It was hard, um, but I think it'll. It, it, the more that you get to know the characters, and the more you know your pace and your tempo in your themes and your feel. And the more I get to know my editor, um, of, of the things he's gonna, uh, balk at, you know, yeah. um, and that'll make it easier because you, you learn every time you do it. And, you know, this, this is book two. And so he pointed out a few places that I was doing something wrong uh, or not necessarily wrong. It was just, you know, he's like, you don't need this here. And I thought, okay, well in the future, I won't have to re- recap so much or whatever, you know, do, do a recap a little bit and then move on and, let each story try to tell itself. Cause I was trying to go back in and try to be like, and here's what happened last time. And then last time this, you know, and, and he, and he said, you know, each book's got to stand on its own and uh, which makes sense. And, um, and let each story stand on its own. So I don't want to have to keep recapping. Sure. Um, you kind of want to do it like a little summary and then let the reader move on. You know what sure. I mean? So things so, like that. So tell me, you've mentioned an editor and agent. How many people are involved with, with a book? Um, a lot, yeah. a lot of people are involved. Um, so, and, and I've told people this and I, I was, I spoke at an event on Saturday and on, on writing and, um, and I told people, I said, man, I, I am a cog in the machine, you know, and as a writer, you sort of feel like, um, you're like, well, I wrote this thing. So here yeah. I am, you know, this, and, and you are important. It's not to say that you're not important, <laughs> but, but I've come to realize, and, and, and this is totally fine with me, you know, in the Harper Collins machine. I am, I am a piece of that machinery, you know? And, uh, and so, so I have, you know, a senior editor and I have a marketing team. And as you have dealt with, I have a publicity, uh, you know, a publicist and assistant publicist. And these are the people that are, you know, getting me out here doing things like this podcasts and interviews, uh-huh. speaking engagements. And then the marketing team is doing what they do with bookstores and, um, and all that and social media and, 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 you know, I've got my senior editor who does the content, but then when it comes to, uh, the actual, like editing, you know, grammar and, and, and looking for typos, I don't know how many people are involved in that thing because I've seen multiple, you know, when I get these copies back, it'll have a different name and there's multiple people involved. And so it's a machine, it's a big yeah. machine. There's a lot of people involved in, in, uh, making it all happen. So when you see like a Tom Clancy or a John Grisham, the, the team on that is, I mean, probably unbelievable i mean it's yeah you know it, it's it 
I, I guess it's the same amount, yeah. you know, I, I don't know, maybe they got a bigger team, but, um, because, you know, they all, you know, always, you know, all the people that were, are working with me are working with, with other authors. Uh, so, sure. um, so it is kind of funny. It's, it's pretty humbling sometimes because, um, you know, I think some of the big authors that my, uh, editor, uh, has under him and, um, you're like, man, I'm just this scrub, you know, <laughs> still right. some of his time every now and then. And, you know, who are all these people are working with, but they never act like that. They yeah. never treat you like the scrub. They treat you, uh, they treat you, you know, really nicely and with a lot of respect. And you no, know, it's been a great, great relationship with the publisher. Well, yeah. I mean, you're with the, I mean, that's a pretty large outfit. I would say Harper yeah. Collins is one yeah. of the, one of the, the elite, if not, you know, yeah top of the pyramid so yeah it's absolutely yeah so well um you have you got uh tell me you got any events coming up in the next yeah yeah so i have uh this weekend um is the uh lubbock book festival okay uh so i'll be i'll be speaking or i guess i'll be on a panel there on saturday morning i think at like 10 10 o'clock or something like that Uh, so if anybody's listeners around Lubbock, I'll, I will be around and I'll be signing books afterwards. Uh, so if there's any interest, I'll be around. I see. Well, that, that ought to be yeah. pretty exciting. So how about your, uh, how about your social media and what, what kind of contact, how can people find you? You know, I, I tell you the, the best thing to do is go to taylormorebooks.com. Okay. And, um, and that's my website and it's a great website. I'm super proud of it because I just had that built a couple of months ago. And it's really cool, and it kind of tells a story, and it's um, and it's fun. It kind of tells more about me. It, 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 if you do social media and you want to follow uh, follow me on social media, that that is the best way to follow me because uh, I do have a, a mailing list or a, you know an email list. But uh, so you can sign up for that too. But I'm not as diligent as I am about posting stuff. So if people want to you know find out if I'm doing a local book signing in Amarillo or uh, or Lubbock or wherever it is, that's, that's a good way to, you know, uh, is just follow me on, um, on Instagram or follow, you know, really Facebook is probably the best thing to do, but, but, um, and, and Twitter, I do Twitter also, okay. what are all- um, but you can find all those links. Yeah. And, and again, find- it's, it's all at taylormorebooks.com and you can just link, you know, cl- click right sure. on there and link up. Taylormorebooks.com. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty informative side. It, it had, he had several reviews from different big authors, um, really had really great things, things to say about your book. Um, so some New York Times bestseller authors, I think, weren't they, Taylor? That uh, absolutely, gave- yeah. Now we got uh, yeah, Mark Greeny is one of the biggest uh, ones. Um, uh, uh, Brad Taylor, uh, another big one. We're with the same. We're with William R. Harper Collins, uh, same editor. Um, I got. Uh, let's see who else is on there. I'm gonna figure. Uh, let's see. I've uh, got. Oh, Don. Go ahead. Uh, Don Bent. Yeah, Don Bentley, who just uh, he's an amazing writer and a good friend. He just uh, took over the Tom Clancy series. OK. And oh, Philip, Philip Meyer. Philip Meyer. Uh, if, 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 for those who have read The Sun, which was a, a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, uh, he was a Pulitzer Prize finalist uh, for The Sun, an amazing book. And I haven't seen the series that was on AMC, but I've heard that's fantastic. Um, so and Philip's a, a friend and a, a really neat guy. And uh, so I'm probably, oh, Mike Madden uh, is, is another great author who uh, uh, used to write on the Tom Clancy series. And so, no, I've got some big New York Times bestsellers. So that's, it's humbling and cool to have those guys, uh, you know, uh, to, to give you an endorsement. That's pretty high praise. I would say so. Yeah, those are some big names. So real quick, what do you like to read? You like to read the same deal or are you pretty broad in your? You know, what's funny is I don't, <laughs> it's kind of like one of those Twilight Zone ironies is that i don't really read fiction anymore thrillers 
Uh, I'm usually reading non nonfiction yeah. because I'm trying to learn something for the next book or or whatever. So I don't read a whole lot of non or of fiction anymore. But uh, but I do try. I am reading. Uh, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm a friend of Don Bentley, and I'm, I'm reading the second his his own series, uh, which is phenomenal. If you're a Thriller fan, uh, without sanction, I highly recommend that one uh, from Bentley. And then uh, and then I can't think of the, the I've got it probably sitting somewhere here. Uh, I can't think of the, the name of the second one, but it's been good. And and I haven't read his Tom Clancy. He had, the first of that one came out in uh, the Jack Ryan Jr. series, so that's that's I know it's going to be good. But but he's great and. Um, yeah, all those guys. Brad Taylor's great. Mark Greeny, you know, all the all they're all good. Or if you want more of a, a, a literary kind of a western, is uh, for those who like Empire of the, of the Summer Moon uh, and that Comanche and all that kind of stuff. Read Philip Myers' The Sun. It's wow. It's uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, I'll have to uh, put that on my list. Yeah, I'm the same way. You know, I'm I love watching or reading nonfiction. I, I've always been that way, even when I was a kid. Even though I didn't really like to read per se a lot till I was probably yeah. in my 20s yeah um, and then now I it's most of it's audible because I mean yeah. it's it can be the greatest book in the world but man I just keep in my eyes so I can get through books after book with um with my audible well so, and, uh, and on that note I don't know if we we talked about this beforehand or and during the interview but uh I think it was beforehand I, I was talking about how great the the audio book for downrange is um, so for those out there, you know, if you're, you know, you probably got a lot of farmers that are in a tractor or driving trucks or doing whatever all the time, the, uh, the audio for, for downrange, uh, as we discussed, it just, it's just, it's great. I love the guy that did it and he does the voices, uh, just really well. And so anybody out there that, that does the audible or does, you know, audio that it's great. Yeah. It's a outstanding for uh, the production value of it's very high, you know, I mean, very clear. I mean, you can tell it's done professionally in a studio, and I mean, it's it's the whole nine yards. This is not a uh, scrubby type of outfit. This is really a top notch. So I was really impressed with it because you come across some, you know, that are that are just kind of borderline, but this is obviously yeah. for sure top notch stuff. So one more question to kind of get us out yeah. of here, but who should yeah. be the next James Bond? Wow, the next James Bond, you know. Let me let me answer that question with a whole different. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I've always thought. So I don't know who should be the next one, but uh, I. You know what I would love to see is like James Bond as a younger man, okay. like how he became James Bond. We always see him like doing these really awesome things, and he's great. But I, I have this sort of fantasy that maybe I, one day I finish this series, I could get the rights to. Uh, to James Bond and and do like you know supposedly it was like in the special boat service. I've heard a variety of th- backgrounds that he supposedly had, but uh, but how did he become James Bond? I think that would be really cool and show him like making mistakes and you know getting it right sometimes, but getting it wrong. And yeah. I think that would be fun. So I know that didn't answer your question, but I, that's always on my mind. So <laughs> so it's funny you mentioned that. How about this, Taylor? How about all the amount of illegitimate children he's had bet- over all the movies, and we see how their lives turned out? And if That'd they be become spies, cool. yeah. What if what if he has like a James Bond army of uh, bastard <laughs> children or something? That would be pretty cool. <laughs> because I mean, God, how many James Bond movies has there been? And he's gotten, you know, he's gotten lucky. And, well, lucky. He's gotten yeah. it in every epi- you know, every film. So I mean, yeah, he's, he's got yeah, a family no, tree I- like Genghis Khan, Taylor. He really does. He's really, he's really that DNA of James Bond is really out there in the world, isn't it? It's every part of the world, you know. I mean, so 
Yeah. Um, so anyhow, no, that would be that's that's a thought. That's actually a thought. <laughs> yeah. No, you always got to be thinking different. Can't just because I mean James Bond movies. I mean they've there's been a few of them and they tend to get to the same story after every once in a yeah. while. But um, well, yeah, they do. <laughs> but uh, no, it's I tell you what, Taylor, it's been really interesting talking to you. I've uh, I got to say this is the first guy. At least this is the first guy I know of that was been in the CIA. So there might have been other people I've talked to that were. True, so. that's true. <laughs> but um, no, it's been really interesting, and I want to thank the people that got me in touch with you. So um, do you yeah. um, obviously you were in the agency do have you ever given speeches i know it says not only you're an author you're a speech you know give speeches and stuff mm -hmm. do you give um opinion pieces on the state of the like afghanistan and foreign affairs and all that or do you stick to your stick you to know, your I, writing I, I, yeah i stick to my writing and, and i do that for a variety of reasons um just because since i'm out of it you know i'm out of the the loop i try to follow it i try to keep up and and i do have my opinions but um, I, I don't follow things the way that I used to, if you know what I mean. And so, so there's probably things that I've missed. And so never say never, it's never that I wouldn't give a, um, you know, give my thoughts on something going on. That's an, you know, an international event if it's important, but for the most part, I try to stick, you know, at, at this point, I think I'm an entertainer yeah. and I want to just entertain people and I want to stick to my book writing and, you know, I might talk about how, how that, you know, how it relates to the series or something like that. But, but I try to stick to entertainment. I mean, are you sure? Because there's there's a shortage of political opinions out there. I know there's really nobody's talking about it. You know, <laughs> nobody really is <laughs> yeah, taking mean, a stand on anything. So, you know, I, I, I honestly, I kind of yeah. I, there's so much of that out there that it almost uh, repels me in yeah. a way. To it just makes me want to. Like I said, you know, I want to tell good stories. I want to be an entertainer. I want to bring joy into people's lives, uh, not more strife or or the strife that I want to bring into your life. Uh, it's it's manufactured and will be resolved in the end, yeah. that kind of a thing. But uh, but now I feel like we need a break from from sure. all the bad news that's out there and, and, and have some fun. Yeah. And so I just want to bring joy into people's lives. I want to bring. I want, I, I just want to create fun and um, and then, you know, for people that need an escape, I just want to create escapism yeah. and that's what the uh, the book is about and that's what the series is going to be about and um just for people to uh, just sort of get away from it all I, I i couldn't say it any better because not only the book is uplifting you know but don't don't get him wrong he keeps you in suspense he gives you action he gives all of the adjectives that i can't even think of right now going on <laughs> through this book especially if you're a Texas Panhandle resident and, you know, you're always seeing stuff based in New York, L.A. and, you know, everywhere else but here. But, um, no, Downrange, you can find it, I guess, in every bookstore that uh, people yeah. can get to yeah. and Amazon yeah. and obviously Audible. Yeah, everywhere everywhere books are sold, you can find it for the most part. And um, and I always tell people if you're you're in Amarillo, of course, you know, Barnes & Noble has it. But I always tell people about the Burrowing Owl and Canyon and um, – and here in Amarillo, because that's a local, uh, you know, it's a local bookstore and, a, and, the, and the folks that own it live here. And uh, so I always like to support them. But um, but yeah, no, it's anywhere you can find books. Uh, you can get it. I've got more questions, but man, I, I'm afraid that I'm going to I don't know what's going to happen. But whatever the case, I was going to ask you how you picked Canadian as a as a base to set out of. But um, yeah, it's a good it's a great question. Um, so basically, I spent a lot of time in Canadian. I was working in oil and gas, you know, after I got an Intel and I moved up here and I was a landman. So I was going up every day. I would drive from Amarillo to Canadian or Perryton or Miami or, you know, I drive through uh, 
Pampa, you know, everywhere. No, you kind of got to go through Pampa wherever you go sure. to get through. So, you know, I was going to Borger. I was going to all these different places, but Canadian probably the most. And I really fell in love with Canadian. It's a neat town. It's a beautiful town. It's got uh, really cool, interesting people there. And uh, I, I could have invented a town, but you, you couldn't oh, yeah. invent one that's as, as interesting as Canadian, right? Sure. I mean, it's, it's, uh, uh, and it, it's just, you know, it kind of had that, that sort of old West feel to it, you know, and, uh, kind of a, a great place to set a novel. And so, uh, you know, people ask me about it and they asked me, I, you know, I did a speaking engagement the other day and, and people say, well, why didn't you make something up? Uh, and I said, well, I said the coal ranch, you know, that's my center of gravity and that's made up now. And, and you'll notice that I never really give specifics as to where exactly where it is. You can kind of imagine, cause I talk about the Cap Rock and I talk about the Canadian river, but you know, that can be a, a pretty big uh, expanse. And I'm sure somebody will try to pinpoint based on how long it takes them to get to Pampa or whatever. Uh, but but the, the point being is that that's what's sort of fictional. And I wanted to include real places with real restaurants like the Stumbling Goat, and, you know, Cattle Exchange and Chiawas and Perryton and, uh-huh. um, and, you know, places in Miami, a little cafe there, you know, so there's all real places in a book too um you'll you'll see that too i take real places and i think that's fun i think that's fun for local people and i think it's fun for people that aren't local that can look at this and go you know google it and be like man that's a real place you go you know you can go to stumbling goat and get you a shiner buck and a and a burger and watch band or whatever you know i think that's fun i was gonna say you know i've been this person before where i'm watching something and i google it and i'm kind of disappointed it's not real yeah i mean people are i mean people kind of Oh man, that's it's just like you said. That's a real place. They uh, feel like they're kind of getting an insight on it, and yeah, and all that. So yeah. it's um. So yeah, I think it'll be fun. I think at some point people will probably somebody's going to venture over to Canadian to see if this yeah. place really exists. You know, sure. and, uh, and I think that'll be fun. And uh, but no, I love I, I love the Panhandle. I'm I'm proud of it. I'm proud of West Texas, and uh, and I hope people that read the book will be too. And I, and I think I hope people that read it that aren't from here don't do what I used to do. You know, like I said, you know, blasting through I-40 on my, on my church ski trip, right. stop and go to Paladero Canyon and go to some of the great restaurants and, uh, Panhandle Plains Museum. I mean, you know, that's a museum bar none. That's just amazing. And, and go up to Canadian and Perryton go, you know, just look around and see all these great things that we have around here in these beautiful parks and, and, and spend a little time here. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Panhandle has mountains of history. I mean, there's just no yeah. question about it between the, settlements and the dust bowl and depression and everything my my grandmother she passed away last year but she was on a she was part of an interview on the ken's burnsdale i don't think it mm. her interview aired but she was here yeah, i, remember I mean at the heart yeah. of it and uh yep. anyway it was obvious once again a very uplifting documentary about <laughs> <laughs> losing your way from the house to the barn so you have to tie, tie a rope from the porch to the barn door so you don't Ugh. get lost in a blizzard or a dust storm and Man. um just unbelievable stories there but um yeah like yeah. i said we could, i could go on and on with you um but yeah so it's it, real interesting um the fact that it's in the texas panhandle really for the local folks just really kind of adds a whole nother um kind of puts a cherry on top of it so but yeah. um yeah taylor it's been great talking to you i'd love to have you on again and uh when that movie comes out we'll uh get yeah. all get all those things lined up and um really appreciate you coming on no, it was, it was my pleasure to be on the show, and uh, and definitely, you know, as book two comes out, I'll, I'll give you a heads up, and maybe you'll be following it, and we'll, I'll come back on the show and talk about that. Absolutely, Taylor. All right, well, everybody, Taylor Moore, Downrange, check it out. It's everywhere that you can 
pontificate of finding a book. It's uh, all over the place. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, if, again, if you go to taylormorebooks.com, you can find all the links to it. And um, So anyhow, plenty of places to buy. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Go to taylormorebooks.com and he will, you will find anything and everything you want to know about that, <laughs> that, that great book. So uh, yeah, like I said, we'll look forward to the next in the series and um, Taylor Moore, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. All righty. The Dryline Farmer Podcast, a member of the Global Ag Network. There's podcasts, and then there's this, the Dryline Farmer Podcast.